Good evening and welcome to Nightline Africa. We are coming to you live from the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Clote in Washington, D.C. The Catholic Church, uh, as you know, in the Democratic Republic of Congo is a very powerful institution, mainly because this is a church who is in touch with the grassroots, and so they know what is happening in the grassroots. Religious groups in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, demand an independent inquiry into allegations of voter fraud in the December general election. The President of the Republic of Kenya is on record as uh, making two statements which we have taken great exception to. The first statement is that uh, he will not obey court orders, which for us is a recipe for chaos and anarchy. The Law Society of Kenya calls on its members to embark on a strike next week in solidarity with the judiciary. Uh, the Constitution makes it very clear that members who are serving an active service in the either the civil service or the local government service cannot participate fully in political party activities. And a Ghanaian civil society group calls for the resignation or firing of the controller and accountant general over his decision to engage in political activities. Those stories and more coming up on Nightline Africa. <music> The powerful Catholic bishops' conference and Protestant churches in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, have in a joint statement demanded an independent inquiry be opened into irregularities and alleged legal violations observed during December general election. The presidential election won by incumbent President Felix Chisikedi has been met with controversy. Two formal appeals against the provisional presidential results have been filed before Congo's constitutional court, which must assess them ahead of a January 12 deadline to announce the final results. Mulengwa Zuhindura, the president of the Center for Political and Strategic Studies in the DRC and a former spokesperson for President Joseph Kabila, tells my colleague Douglas Impuga that the Catholic Church is a powerful institution whose demand should be taken seriously. You know, the Catholic Church, uh, as you know, in the Democratic Republic of Congo is a very powerful institution, mainly because this is a church who is in touch with the grassroots. And so they know what is happening at the grassroots, and they have done a detailed work uh, with these uh, elections. And not only with this, but, you know, uh, the past elections have been very involved, making sure uh, that the process w was fair and the process was transparent. So the work they've done again this year has been very, very transparent and very good work. And they've been able to point out a lot of irregularities and they're worried uh, that this could re could lead to a, a much wider co conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So their statement is right on the money. So do you think, in your opinion, Seni or the government will heed this demand by the churches? I don't know if they'll do that, but it's in the best interest to do that uh, because uh, if they are talking about a, a democratic process and from all indication, uh, this process was not uh, democratic. Um, uh, this was a, a, a process that was flawed and uh, uh, this election should never have been held. Uh, I don't think the Electoral Commission was ready for these elections 
and the government should have given the electoral commission more time. Uh, they could have asked the government to give them an extra three months to organize the election, but they chose not to do that. You know, I don't know whether they will heed what the Catholic Church and other bishops and the Protestant churches and Democratic Republic of Congo are calling for, but they do have an interest to do that to avoid a, a wider conflict, conflict across the country. Uh, in addition to the church, Catholic Church and the other churches, uh, there have been two formal appeals against the provisional presidential results uh, have, which have been filed before Congo's constitutional court. Uh, do you have confidence in the court to resolve uh, this? As an attorney myself, I would say yes, but uh, we know that the court in the Democratic Republic of Congo is uh, is partisan, and uh, it always sides with whomever is in power. So I don't believe the Constitutional Court will do the right thing. Uh, they will absolutely not do the right thing. I, I don't believe that will happen. But, you know, what I wanted to say is that the, the big problem here, you know, the, the results, the provisional results of the presidential elections ha- have already been announced. But the government is failing to even announce what happened with the legislative elections, which were held at the same time. And the law calls for both of those results to be announced at the same time. So again, that goes to reinforce what the Catholic Church and other churches are saying, that there have been irregularities. Briefly, what do you think will happen, in your opinion, given between the church's uh, demand and the, the appeals to the court? What I would like to see more is probably what uh, you know, I could say. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what I would like to see is for the, the government today to heed Uh, the call for the Catholic Church to bring a more transparent process in place. What I would like to see is for for these elections to be annulled, because these were not fair and free elections, not anywhere close to it, to be annulled and to have uh, a a new set of elections reorganized, more free and transparent. Otherwise, we are going to have a fight on our hands. There's already all kinds of uh, rebellions across the country, and what Congo needs right now is peace. And the elections, the way they were held, they are not going to bring peace to, to, to the country. Mulengwa Zehundura is the president of the Center for Political and Strategic Studies in DRC and a former spokesperson for President Joseph Kabila. He spoke with my colleague Douglas Simpuga, still in the Democratic Republic of Congo. A political analyst says expectations are high that President Felix Chisekede will keep his campaign promises, including improving security in the country's troubled regions. Dede Wachiba says the re-elected president also needs to create jobs for the country's youth and improve the economy. His remarks come amid a demand for an independent inquiry into the election after leading opposition leaders rejected the outcome of the presidential contest. The Electoral Commission, known as CNE, declared the incumbent president winner after garnering about 73% of the total vote cast. For analysis and expectations, I reach Dede Wachiba. My main expectation that our political system to be threatened after this election, we have to strengthen. Our system must progress. and We have to organize the federal elections and the winner must be in French to be proclamed. The real person who will, the winner must be the president. You, I know you have also spoken with some people in your community, especially in Kinshasa. What are they expecting the president to do? Their expectation is about the improvement of... Uh, their uh, social situation. You know, you have to 
to improve uh, health, health system, where to create jobs, because the the poverty is so the people are so poor here. So for us, that we need we need food, we need water, we need electricity, and uh, maybe for the uh, eastern part of Congo, we need the the most thing they are waiting for is the peace, is the security. Talking about the peace and security, do you think most Congolese have confidence that the president will try to bring peace in the eastern part of the country, especially when he said that uh, he has done well and that he will do more if he is re-elected? Well, that is a, that is a big issue. So for me, uh, if uh, according to the fact that he, uh, the president uh, was uh, elected, so they are confident that he can... It can change things, but for me as a political analyst, I think that we cannot change things with the the old um, strategy, the old means. We need just to make that the real analysis to try what works, what doesn't work in the old system, and try to make better uh, to change things. We cannot change things with the other, or the old system which is not working. You know what I'm saying. I give you an example. The problem for me, we need to change the quality of our army or our security system, not the quantity. We are just to recruit people with that uh, um, suitable uh, training. No, that we need to make this kind of analysis to know the um, the fundamental cause, cause uh, the reason of this instability, and try to respond to this cause to, to this reason by uh, uh, rational means. And rational means can be well, that for me. I don't know. Negotiation can go to to, to strengthen the, the our army, the, the security to to to, to motivate this uh, this army, or the, the the policemen. And so it's not too easy to do that. So they need a rational way to approach this issue. Dede Wachiba is a political analyst in the Democratic Republic of Congo (DRC). He spoke with me from the capital, Kinshasa. The Law Society of Kenya is calling on its members to embark on a nationwide strike next week in solidarity with the judiciary. This after President William Ruto came under criticism following his allegations that some judges have teamed up with the opposition to thwart administration projects. The president was quoted as saying he plans to root out those he says are involved in undermining his administration using the court system. But Eric Theory, president of the Law Society, says the organization is challenging him to provide evidence to support his allegations of corruption in the judiciary. Some are See, the president appears to be frustrated with the courts following rulings that have gone against his administration. For more on the call for a nationwide strike, I reached Law Society of Kenya President Eric Theory. The president of the Republic of Kenya is on record as uh, making two statements which we have taken great exception to. The first statement is that uh, he will not obey court orders which for us is a recipe for chaos and anarchy and heralds a return of an autocratic president that seems or seeks to elevate himself above the operation of the law and the constitution and we deem that as a declaration of a constitutional coup on the constitutional order that uh, the Kenyans gave themselves upon the promulgation of the new constitution. 
Uh, the second is uh, uh, the mention by the president uh, without uh, giving uh, specific uh, details that the judiciary is corrupt. We take exceptions to this statement for two very important reasons. That first, under the constitution, uh, there's a very clear uh, and well laid out procedure for anyone to make a complaint whenever they have allegations against a particular judicial officer. And in this particular case, the president in his remarks has uh, failed to uh, exploit or to utilize these uh, procedures and has proceeded to make unsubstantiated wild allegations touching on the entire judiciary without naming the specific judges. Now, Mr. Theory, yes. some people are suggesting that instead of embarking on this protest by lawyers across the country, why would the law <laughs> society and not engage the president, you know, to help resolve some of these deep concerns you have rather than embarking on this strike, which they said might affect, you know, uh, the day-to-day -day running of courts across the country. It will not affect the day-to-day -day running of courts within the country. It is not a boycott of the courts. If it was a boycott of the court, then it would affect the court. This is a protest by lawyers who are marching in solidarity and to express their support for the independence of uh, the judiciary, for the rule of law and the constitution of Kenya. Secondly, as advocates, we are going to publicly reaffirm our oath. We took an oath to defend the constitution of Kenya. We took an oath to defend the rule of law and the administration of justice. And we took an oath to defend the independence of the judiciary. Now, Mr. Theory, critics of the judiciary are saying that perhaps the president's pronouncement should be an introspection call for the judiciary to look at itself holistically because they said Pre President Ruto is not the only person in Kenya who has expressed such similar sentiment. Your take? We would want to say that even as the law society, we have our concerns about the levels of corruption within the judiciary. And uh, whereas we may have those concerns, what we are seeing is not an attempt to deal with the question of corruption or inefficiency within the judiciary. What we are seeing is an attempt because the judiciary has uh, had issues uh, or is, is, is in, a, in a process where it continuously needs to engage in, um, in uh, measures to uh, reduce corruption, but then corruption becomes an easy excuse uh, to deal with. The other thing, and, and this is what is also uh, what we would then find interesting, is that the government in itself has not demonstrated any commitment to fight corruption within itself. So why is it that uh, the judiciary then becomes 
as a punching bag when it comes to the question of corruption. That is where the mischief is. And uh, we can see uh, what the executive wants. And then the other question is, why is it that it is only after the executive has lost in court on the question of the housing fund on, uh, and, and the courts have sought to the, uh, the national uh, health insurance team that the judiciary is now suddenly corrupt. Eric Theory is the president of the Law Society of Kenya. He spoke with me from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. The African Union has joined the United States in appealing for calm in the Horn of Africa. This after regional tensions soared following a contested deal between Ethiopia and the breakaway region of Somaliland. Somalia has vowed to defend its territory after Monday's agreement. Mogadishu described it as an aggression and a blatant assault on its sovereignty by neighboring Ethiopia. The Memorandum of Understanding gives landlocked Ethiopia access to the Red Sea through Somaliland. The French news agency AFP says a statement issued by the AU Commission chair calls for calm and mutual respect to de-escalate the simmering tension between Ethiopia and Somalia. For analysis, I reach Matthew Bryden. He is the co-founder and strategic advisor at the Sahan Research Think Tank. Well, I think this is the default position of of the international community. Um, The United Nations and the African Union are based on respect for the territorial integrity and sovereignty of states. Um, So I wouldn't expect anything else at this stage from other governments. Uh, That said, um, the recognition of states under international law is essentially a political decision. And if Ethiopia is serious about implementing this agreement um, and proceeds with uh, full recognition of Somaliland, and there is the possibility that other states would follow suit, um, then this will become essentially a a political decision uh, within the international community. Um, So I think what we need to do is the memorandum of understanding comes with a sort of month-long implementation pause as uh, as it's been described by the by the two parties and i think we need to wait one month uh, to see whether the two parties are uh, really serious about its implementation but Matt, it, the announcement seemed to have uh, ruffled a few feathers particularly in somalia and in the horn of africa region well i think what we're seeing is is a lot of testing of the waters um on the Ethiopian side, um, Ethiopia has, in some public statements, walked back uh, its commitment to full recognition of Somaliland, suggesting that this is something it is considering, but that it's not, uh, at this stage, uh, decided to to fully embrace. Uh, on the Somali side, unofficially, at least, from pundits and members of parliament um, claiming to speak on behalf of the government, uh, what I think we see is a lot of interpretation of very bland international statements as, as somehow validating Somalia's position, when that, that's not really the case. What We're seeing statements from the European Union and the United States that are simply in line with standard international practice, um, and they are not 
expressing indignation or condemnation of Ethiopia's actions. They're simply reaffirming a well-established uh, tradition in the international system. Some are suggesting that Somaliland, after many attempts of uh, trying to convince the international community for recognition, seem to have brought this new deal uh, in front of the international community, which they said appears to be a diplomatic masterstroke for them. Some differ. What say you? Well, in some ways, I think this moment was inevitable. Um, first of all, Somaliland has been a de facto independent polity for over 30 years. And at some stage, of course, members of the international community and other governments were bound to sit up and take notice and to consider the benefits of um, politically and diplomatically engaging with Somaliland. And there is a long history of foreign governments um, signing agreements with Somaliland. Some have diplomatic offices uh, in the capital, Hargeisa. Um, so over time, I think Somaliland's aspirations uh, were likely to become come closer to being realized. The second point is that Somaliland, at least uh, since the the fall of the Somali government in 1991, has become de facto uh, a, a partner of Ethiopia rather than of Somalia and Mogadishu. Its trade is with Ethiopia, its security is with Ethiopia, and politically it shares more in common with Addis Ababa than it does with Mogadishu. So there's a natural partnership there that seems to be coming to fruition. Um, after decades of, of de facto relations. Well, and then third, I mean, Somaliland and Somalia have been engaged in talks for more than a decade um, since 2012, and Somalia has not respected any of the previous agreements and has not shown any desire to entertain Somaliland's political objectives. So, in a sense, this is a crisis that Mogadishu has brought on itself, by not seriously engaging with Somaliland on its political aspirations and its final status, Somaliland was bound to pursue a unilateral path towards recognition. Matthew Bryden is the co-founder and strategic advisor at the Sahan Research Think Tank. He spoke with me from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. In Senegal, the opposition pastor Le Patriots is expressing disappointment over the Supreme Court's decision not to dismiss the libel conviction of its leader, Osmanu Sonko. It says it nevertheless plans to compete in the coming February 25th general election. In this, despite legal and political observers who say the court's ruling effectively bars Sonko from contesting as a presidential candidate in next month's general election. Sonko had appealed his libel conviction for defaming tourism Minister Mamim Baidyang. His supporters say the ruling and conviction are politically motivated to prevent Sonko from competing in the elections. For more reaction from the party and its next line of action, I reach Usainu Lee. He is a spokesperson for the opposition party. The party is truly disappointed to see the Supreme Court so quickly wrap up this case for judgment, while other cases have been well underway for months or years. Uh, also, the, our party is disappointed to see that the Supreme Court has ignored his own law. 
in handing down these verdicts in a context where the constitutional court is reviewing our application. The court has not taken any steps yeah, with this decision, or the court has not taken any steps to strengthen uh, our role of law or to bring justice closer to the people. Yeah, we can consider that this verdict is a result of a race against time to do all things to prevent Mr. Sonko from running to this election. Usain, what does it mean for the party and will the party choose another candidate since you said that the ruling means that he, he might not participate in the elections? Yeah, yeah. Even we are facing this kind of situation that, uh, so as I speak, uh, yeah, Mr. Sonko remain our our candidate to this election. Even we, we, we face this kind of situation because we decide to fight. We decide to give all our best to maintain him as our candidate for this election. As I said, we will, we will do everything we can do to have him in the starting line for this election. Does that mean that there's a legal path for Sonko to contest as a presidential candidate in the February presidential election in spite of the ruling on Friday? Uh, yeah, today we are Friday, so the Constitutional Court will uh, review his applications for the, for the election. And despite these, the lawsuits against, against him, there has not yet been a final decision to roll him out of this competition. So he is still, uh, he gets still his right, his civil, civic and democratic rights to participate to the, in this election. From now on, uh, we submitted to the constitutional court uh, a complete yeah, application form. Yeah, every document they request, we submit it. So we don't see anywhere or how they come. Uh, invalidate our, our candidates because we have all the documents they request and Mr. Sonko, even there is a, uh, even yesterday decision, he, is, he can't still apply for this, run for this election. If the Constitutional Court says he's not qualified, then what happens to your party and the effort to have him as a presidential candidate? Yeah, let's see. Let's see what they, what they will decide today so we think that uh, if they are just they are interesting by the law only by the law not considering other political issues so they will declare uh, Mr. Swanson to a candidate uh, yeah so and in any uh, situation of course we will attend we will participate in this election of course Hussein Uli is a spokesperson for the opposition party Pastef Le Patriot. He spoke with me from the Senegalese capital, Dakar. And you are listening to Nightline Africa on the English to Africa service of The Voice of America. I'm your host, Peter Clote in Washington, D.C. And coming up in the second half of Nightline Africa, the Saturday music spot from our collection of music from the continent. But first, 
In Sierra Leone, the executive director of Campaign for Human Rights and Development says there's mixed reaction to the charges against former President Enes Baikoroma over his alleged role in the November coup attempt. Abdul Fatoma says his organization supports calls to ensure that all Sierra Leoneans are treated equally before the law, irrespective of their political affiliation or societal status. His comments come after the former president was officially charged and granted bail for his alleged role in the failed coup. It also comes as a letter emerged from ECOWAS highlighting an agreement between Sierra Leone and Nigeria about plans to temporarily relocate the former president to Nigeria. Local media quoted officials as denying some of the contents of the letter. For more reaction, I reach Abdul Fatoma. We have mixed reaction from the public. Um, it depends who you listen to or from what region or that's how the country is now. So people actually from the northern region see it as a disrespect, you know, to the former president for him to be indicted and charged to court. You know, and that is what some of the people are saying, not all of the people, but most of the president loyalists, the former president loyalists, and that is what they are thinking and that is what they are saying on social media. And you have other set of citizens that says, if the government have the, uh, the evidence um, to support the claim that the former president was directly involved, as alleged, you know, um, in the uh, November 26 uh, failed coup attempt, then, you know, um, he must be accountable. Let's talk about the ECOWAS letter, because what it appears to be trending in Sierra Leone is an ECOWAS letter that is suggesting a way forward or a path to resolving supposedly the tension as a result of former President Enes Bayakuruma being charged. How are people reacting to this in Sierra Leone? The government um, having a disagreement um, and lack of confidence in uh, the ECOWAS approach because government officials, their government officials are saying you know, that was not part of the closed door meeting they have with the ECOWAS, you know, because the, the letter requesting that the president should approve that the former president should travel to Nigeria and his pensions will be paid, his medical bills will be taken care of, his property in Israel will be uh, uh, protected, you know, by state security and uh, his entitlement as a former president uh, should be accordingly given to him while he's on exile on temporary leave. So um, it brings a lot of, you know, outrage, you know, uh, among Sri Leoneans. Um, some Sri Leoneans take it like um, ECOWAS has been disrespectful to the sovereignty of Sri Leone. And the foreign minister, said in a public interview that he doesn't countenance the, the content of the ECOWAS letter, but it is true that his ministry have received a correspondence, you know, from ECOWAS, but they do not countenance, you know, um, the content of that letter. So it brings a whole disagreement between the ECOWAS commission and that of the governor of Sri Leone. Some analysts that I have spoken with appear to say that nobody is above the law 
And if anybody is accused or there's evidence against somebody who is allegedly involved in disturbing public peace and stability, that person must be dealt with in accordance with the full force of the law in Sierra Leone. What are people saying about this? Majority of the Suleimian populace subscribes to that. And the president has been assuring the people of this country, you know, um, that the process um, will go through uh, uh, the due process of the law and the rule of law will be respected. And we as an organization, we also believe a strong and legitimate, you know, rule of law system, you know, um, protect uh, the human rights of people, you know, and uh, holding, you know, power accountable and prevent violent crime, you know, and prevent fear and legitimate venue to resolve conflict in society, you know. Uh, these are strong elements that actually prepare good democracy. The U.S. government, you know, the ambassador here have spoken lately about that, that the U.S. government in Washington is interested in essentially moving forward. And whosoever is liable or, you know, get involved, the fact that the government have evidence, those people should be held to account. And so international community given their support with regards to that, and you know citizens are also giving their support that people who were responsible for the November 26 incident should be held accountable. Abdul Fatoma is the executive director of Campaign for Human Rights and Development. He spoke with me from the Sierra Leonean capital, Freetown. In Ghana, the Alliance for Social Equity and Public Accountability, or ASEPA, is calling for the resignation or firing of Kwesin Kweening Bosompim, the controller and accountant general, over his decision to engage in political activities. This, the civil society group says, contravenes the constitution since Queening Bosompim remains a civil servant. It comes after Queening Bosompim declared his intention to compete in the primaries for parliamentary aspirants in the governing New Patriotic Party or NPP. The NPP is scheduled to choose its parliamentary candidate on January 20, ahead of Ghana's next year general election. Mensa Thompson, the chief executive officer of ASEPA, tells me that his organization plans to take legal action against the government if the controller and accountant general does not resign or be fired on Monday. Uh, the constitution makes it very clear that members who are serving an active service in the either the civil service or the local government service cannot participate fully in political party activities. In fact, um, they cannot even contest on a ticket of a political party whilst in active service. And at any point in time, when they decide to do so, they must resign before they can actively take part in political party activities. The confusion in this particular matter was settled by the Supreme Court in 2017 in the case of Klostak versus Attorney General, where the Supreme Court clearly set out the position of the law with respect to civil servants participating in politics. Is this the reason why your organization is also calling on the uh, electoral commission not to accept uh, his application to contest as a, a parliamentary candidate for the ruling party. In fact, by the law, once he resigns, he can he can contest. But we are saying that his 
continuous remain in office after filing to contest on a ticket of a political party undermines his eligibility under Article 94 of the Constitution. Because to become a member of parliament, one of the key eligibility criteria is that you must not have violated any laws of the land. And so he continued to remain in office after filing his nomination to contest as a member of parliament is what undermines his eligibility. It's on that basis that is why we're asking the EC that even if he's successful at the internal party primaries, in November, when he files his nomination to contest in the national elections, his nomination should be rejected on the basis of not meeting the eligibility criteria. But, but what if he has standed in his resignation and is going through the process, he has yet to get to the president uh, to accept or deny the resignation? Well, as we speak, we have not seen any resignation letter from him. Neither have we received any letter from the presidency saying that they have received a resignation letter from him and that they are considering it. So in the midst of that vacuum, the automatic presumption is that he has, he has not resigned. So are there any legal remedies to address this concern that you have? Absolutely. And that's why we are planning to go to court. That by close of day on Monday, if we don't see any official letter of his resignation or an, a letter from the presidency revoking his appointment, we'll go to court. What do you think the prospect of going to court is? Well, it's a constitutional interpretation matter. And like I said, the Supreme Court, in the case of Closard versus Attorney General, has already set out the position of the law. So it's about going back to the Supreme Court to enforce the law. Because when it comes to enforcement of the law, the original jurisdiction is with the Supreme Court. You know, so the Supreme Court is, is, is clothed with the powers of enforcing the law. And so when, at any point in time, when any citizen believes that a law of the land is being violated, he has a prerogative to go to the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to make a pronouncement on the matter. It's also a matter of, of constitutional interpretation on whether officers such as Controlling Accountant General, which is an office appointed by the president, you know, also falls under the prerogative of Section 4 of the PNDC Law 327. What do you say to your critics who have the view that this is yet another attempt by your organization to demonize and perhaps make the government unpopular? I, 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 think, I think for what it's worth, it's the government that is making itself unpopular. Because, like I said, assuming the government does not even respect our laws, assuming there is no even law, doesn't even common sense speak to these people that for certain specific independent state offices, especially independent state offices of accountability, such as controlling accountant general, auditor general, uh, electoral commission chairperson, you cannot continue to occupy these offices and still overtly participate in political party activities. You know, so, so I think the matter that's all, you know, fraught with a number of questions. And there's no, there's no interest in making anybody unpopular. Rather, it's a government's action and inaction that's making itself unpopular. Mansa Thompson is the Chief Executive Officer of ASEPA. He spoke with me from the Guinean capital, Accra.
And in Zambia, the opposition Citizens First Party plans to sue Grafel Musumba, the Inspector General of Police, over the ban on public rallies until the security situation improves. Harry Kalaba, the leader of the party, says the constitution guarantees freedom of assembly. He adds that anybody who thwarts that infringes on the fundamental rights of citizens. This after Musumba advised opposition parties to consider holding indoor rallies until insecurity concerns are addressed. But civil society and opposition groups, including the Citizens First Party, rejected the move, saying this is an attempt by the chief of police to crack down on rallies by opponents of the administration. They also questioned why the ruling parties allowed to hold public rallies but prevent the opposition from doing the same. For more about the plans to challenge the ban on such gatherings, I reach Harry Kalaba. He is the leader of the Opposition Citizens First Party. Mr. Msamba is speaking from a position that is not backed by the law. So what we have decided, our party, the Citizens First, together with uh, another political party, the Economic Front, being supported by other opposition political parties, we are going to to the Inspector General of Police in the Lusaka High Court so that he can show the court where he's drawing his authority from to stop asking the opposition from having a political rally. But the Inspector General of Police expressed concern about the uh, security situation in the country and that there is not enough or there will not be enough police officers to ensure the protection of your members when you go uh, on such rallies. Isn't this uh, his duty to enforce law and order and to protect Zambians? Uh, no, 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 no. It is not in his place as Inspector General of Police to determine whether a political party uh, can have a rally or not, or whether the security situation is not allowing or not. It is not in his place. The Zambian constitution provides for us in the opposition or indeed any other citizen to notify the police when we want to have a gathering. It's notifying the police. And notification to the police cannot amount to getting a permit from the police. That is where the Inspector General of Police is missing it. Secondly, the Inspector General of Police does not have the authority. He doesn't have the mandate to determine whether a meeting should not take place on flimsy ground that doesn't have enough police because he doesn't know when the citizens first will want to hold a rally. He doesn't know when other political parties would want to have meetings. So where is he drawing his strength to say he does not have enough manpower? Just the other day, the president just woke up and was having a rally in Southern province. Where did he get all the police to do that uh, kind of protection? And in any case, but he is we the president of the, of the Republic of Zambia. He's the president. So the police would have to ensure his protection. Let the police protect the president if they so want. But we don't need the police to parade or to protect us as citizens. There is a provision that we can provide our own youth, our own people, to ensure that peace and tranquility prevails. But the Inspector General of Police advised opposition political parties to hold gatherings not in public but in private until the security situation improves. What is wrong about that? That is what we are refusing because that is not his place. It is not for him to advise us to have the meeting in the, in the indoors or not indoors. That is not his place. When did he know that there is a security situation in the country? Where is there a security situation in this country? 
Zambia is not at war with any country. Zambia is not having any militias in any part of the country. Where is he drawing this uh, thing of saying that there is security concern in the country? There is nothing like that. All that Mr. Mutamba is trying to do is trying to play partisan politics. He's trying to be the agent for the ruling party, the UPND, who will not allow it. And that's why we are dragging him to court. But Mr. Musumba has attributed the volatile security situation in Zambia to what he says is the increasing number of junkies, whom he said uh, the opposition political parties such as yours have been using to mobilize what some people are quoting him to say unnecessary public rallies. So why do you use junkies to disturb people's peace and tranquility and the country's political stability? Mr. Mutamba, the IG should tell us the definition of a junkie. He should tell us where we are getting those junkies from. He should tell us where he found those junkies. Because you just cannot wake up, issue such an inflammatory statement of saying opposition parties like ourselves are using junkies to organize our party. In any case, the levels of poverty that Zambia is going through is turning almost everybody into a junkie. Because there's too much poverty, and even anybody who is not in, who is not on drugs or who is not on heavy alcohol will be looking like they are on heavy alcohol or on heavy drugs because of hunger. So Mr. Msamba does not have a barometer. He does not have any measuring instrument to tell us uh, who is a junkie and who is not a junkie. And that is why I said earlier, it is not in its place. And the courts of law will determine whether Mr. Msamba's statement is legitimate or not. We are taking him on. Harry Kalaba is the leader of the Opposition Citizens First Party. He spoke with me from the Zambian capital, Lusaka. And right now it's time for music from our African collection. Sandra Nangabatiango na bokal, 
Avant Bokanga, pardon, qui a soigné, et la poto poto ya boulingo, loco la moulongue, moto à moni piscine, la papa, la Saint-Jean-Cherbos, BMC, mon amoule. Quand il fait chaud, la boca, pas aussi va comprendre la bango, que mon pépé, oui, ma zoluka, et station à carité, aux allées. Les accords absorbés par feu à Soukinaïo. Après Kabolango Namboka, ma malade va péma son bonbonne. Balamba Bikana, maladie de la peau. Yosa mystérieuse, tu y apporterais la joie. Nazanayo na coco frère. Nayo soleil ami mort. Charles Tabou tout au bas Joseph Bertier. Aza exceptionnel. Est-ce que mon amour n'est pas plus fort que mon erreur Demeure dans mon cœur, Je suis un peu 
From the continent, we hope you enjoyed it. Nightline Africa comes to you on Saturdays and Sundays at 16 and 18 hours UTC from the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. And from the rest of the Nightline team, including producer Douglas Mpuga and engineer Al Santos, we say a big thank you for joining us tonight. And remember, as the elders say, a fool is a wise man's ladder. I'm your host, Peter Clotter in Washington, D.C. Good evening, Africa. L'amour éternel pour la vie, je te comprends, tu me comprends, on se comprend. Dans l'homme, l'amour de ma vie, à ta puissance, agonie, n'a l'île les leçons. Et quoi ça qui te chérie, banda cogno, soit bolino. Dans l'homme pour le meilleur et le pire. Pour le meilleur et le pire Claudicia Atako bolingo e umeli banabakoli Kasi bolingo na yona mote manangeza kakaya sikai Kolela te, kobanga te, seskula loba